you're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Church, where we are disciples of Jesus in life together, making disciples. To check out our other media or to find out more information about our church, visit RedeemerSGF.com. Alright, if you would, turn in your scriptures to John chapter 11. Today we're going to go through verses 1 through 16, and as our fancy social media presence has already informed you, the title of the sermon is The Paradox of God's Will. So we're going to be looking at the death of Lazarus here. If you don't mind standing for the reading of God's Word. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. You can go ahead and have a seat. I'll go ahead and uh, pray for us today for the preaching of God's Word this morning. God, I thank You so much for this extension of Your body, for this church family. God, I pray that um, this morning, as we go through Your text, that um, You push me and all of us out of the way. I pray that Your Spirit... Um, guides us through this text, lays on our heart what you have for us this morning, and that it leads us closer to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A paradox is a statement or proposition which on its face seems self-contradictory, absurd, or at a variance with common sense. Though upon investigation or when explained, 
proves to be well-founded or thought to be essentially true. Thanks to the Oxford English Dictionary there. So in other words, a paradox is something that seems like it shouldn't be so, but it is anyway. You've got to spend money to make money. Youth is wasted on the young. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. The Chiefs can still field a team after a $500 million contract for one player. And paradoxes are the continued tension throughout these verses. For us, the readers, and in real time, for Christ's apostles and friends. If you isolate these statements, they aren't exactly comforting. I love you, so I won't give you what you want. There's no longer an emergency, but we're going to go back into danger anyway. A dear friend died, and I'm glad I wasn't there. We're going to spend time with each of these, but first I want to challenge you with something. I want you to go through this chapter one sermon at a time. To pretend for the next few weeks that we don't know the end of this story. That we are experiencing it as we go through it. One, because it's just better that way. Ever record something to watch later, but someone accidentally ruins it? Hey, did you see that game? Hey, did you see that character who died in the season finale? Or wait in line to see Star Wars and some guy named Sage tells the whole theater that Han Solo dies? You still enjoy it, but it takes something away. More importantly, we have to be careful not to trivialize what's happening. Christ's work and power, the depth of love He has for us, the tragedy of death, the fear of dying, the anticipation of losing someone to illness, these are real feelings from real people. And God wants us to tap into that. We can't lose that. We can't forget what they're going through just because we know how it ends. Commentator Gary Burge puts it like this, Jesus expects God's people to have an understanding of death and to possess confidence in God's power. Because as believers, that will help us better understand and fully embrace the answers to three questions we're going to address today. Why do we love Christ? Why do we follow Christ? Why must we devote our lives to Christ, even though we won't always understand Him? So jumping in verses 1 and 2. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So with these two verses, first we're going to look at why we love. John introduces our main players in our chapter. 
And he does it with one of the most notable acts of love we find in the Gospels. When Mary exhibits an immense amount of love and humility by pouring out something of great value on the feet of our Savior. And then wipes it off with her hair. This reference that John jumps a little ahead in the narrative for, to chapter 12. So I'm jumping ahead, but I'm not cheating. I'm still following our rule. Not only uses a well-known occurrence to let us make the connection to who we're dealing with, but gives us a window into the relationship that this family has with Jesus. And immediately following, he shows us that the relationship was so dear to him that the messenger didn't even have to use Lazarus' name. Verse 3, So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. There wasn't even a follow-up. No request was made. Come quick. No plea to heal him. We see this happen several times in the Gospels. Somebody comes up and asks for healing. Even to the point, you don't have to go to my house. You can just say it and it'll be so. There isn't any of that here. Based on what we know about this relationship and Christ's ministry, the messenger was probably a little taken aback by Christ's response. Here in verse 4 on through 6, But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's hard. On his face, does that look like love? From our perspective? From their perspective? Humanly speaking, love would motivate some urgency. If your spouse calls you and tells you your child has to go to urgent care because they suddenly fell ill, what do you do? All the ER calls that many of us have received over the last couple of years from parents and other loved ones, what did we do? We went. We did whatever we needed to get there. To be present. To talk to them. To weep with them. To pray with them. So putting ourselves there in the shoes of the ones feeling this in the moment. The sisters holding on to miraculous hope in the face of certain death. Does that feel like love? When we see tragedy on the news with whole families, cities, countries, asking, where was God? Why didn't He intervene and save people? When we pray for things to happen, we start to regret time not valued. Vow to change it when your loved one pulls through. 
if they could just stay a little longer. When you pray for the saving faith of Christ to take hold of the lost people in our lives, for ways to provide for our families better, to conquer that sin in our lives, and we don't get the answer we want, if at all, when it feels like he's ignoring us, does that feel loving? My daughter Noelle used to encounter these feelings of doubt and lovelessness a lot when she was about three years old. When we corrected her or punished her or sometimes just reminded her of a rule, she just melted. And through the tears she would ask, do you still love me? Of course we would reassure that no matter what, we would always love her. As her parents, we know that we are loving her with correction and discipline. We know as followers of Christ, we are called to love her in that way to hopefully help lead her to saving faith. But to her, that wasn't what love looked like. It looked more like, if you love me, why won't you let me do what I want? Why are you keeping me from being happy? And that limited perspective looks a lot to us like our limited perspective looks to God. Why did you let this happen? Why won't you fix this now? Why won't you give me what I need? Our answer is right there in verse 4. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And even more confirmation of this comes with the third declaration of Christ's love for them. Again, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, immediately followed by, So, when we heard that Lazarus was ill... He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Notice the conjunction there. So. It doesn't say Jesus loved them and he heard of the illness and stayed two more days. He said so. It was because he loved them that he stayed. It's an unexpected answer. It was because he loved them that he didn't respond the way that they wanted in that moment. The way they thought he should. And that's where we find our answer. We love him because he first loved us. He loves us with a love that is perfect. A love that's often beyond all of our understanding. We love him because he is worthy of our love even if his love doesn't always look like we think it should. Verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are you 
Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. That brings us to the next question. Why do we follow him? Now after those couple days, Jesus tells his disciples it's time to go back to Judea. And their response is pretty understandable. Why are you taking us to the place they tried to arrest you at the Feast of Tabernacles? Where there are rumors still that they want to kill you. Where a crowd tried to stone you. Where they tried to arrest you and stone you again at Hanukkah. Where we, who are your followers, will encounter the same threats as you have. Why aren't you being loving to us? This isn't supernatural. It's human. This is our limited human perspective again. This is seeing only what's in front of us. Seeing only our lives and the things and people around us. This is fear and doubt. This is the Israelites seeing Moses go up on a mountain and panicking and needing another God to worship. This is Job's friends seeing the disaster that befell his life and saying, well, surely you did something wrong. This is Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? This is David in Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And this is all of us again. Why can't it be easier? Why does all of this bad happen? Why won't you answer my prayers? I am following you. Why would you lead me this way? His response? You are with the light of this world. You are doing the work of God, with God, who was sent here to complete a task. And with a bird's eye view, we know the religious leaders won't stop him until he wills it. We know that God did not leave the Israelites in the desert. We know how things end up for Job and that Habakkuk ends up rejoicing in the Lord and takes joy in the God of his salvation. We know David trusted in God's steadfast love. And eventually, they all knew the end of their stories. The results of their hardships. And even without seeing the whole picture of our lives, even though we go through bad things and hard things and death and sickness, we can know that our lives 
and our circumstances and all things in the history of the world will work for his glory. Verse 11, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Plot twist. Jesus knows Lazarus is dead. He knew he was going to die. He knew that meeting the immediate needs of the sisters and Lazarus a couple days earlier would not have the same impact on their faith. Would not have the same impact on our faith. He knew that waiting on the appointed time would have a greater impact for the glory of God. He knew how to love us best. Look at verse 15 again. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Paradox. On its face, just taking this statement on its own, this sounds terrible. Confusing. Unloving. At best, I'm glad I wasn't by my friend's side when he died. I don't read the message, but I'm sure it says something like that in there. We have to zoom out. Shed our human perspective. John Piper defines this love better than I could ever do it. He's a lot smarter than me. And he does it free from all worldly perspective. Love is doing whatever you have to do to help people see and treasure the glory of God as their supreme joy. To help people see and be satisfied with the glory of God. It's a long sentence. I'll say it again. Love is doing whatever you have to do to help people see and treasure the glory of God as their supreme joy to help people see and be satisfied with the glory of God. That's how Christ is loving His friends. It's how He's loving His disciples. It's how He loves all of us. And in that, we can see that we follow Him because He is worthy of following. Even if it means going where you don't want to go. Which takes us to our last verse. Verse 16. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. And we're going to look at Thomas to answer our third question. Why must we devote our lives to Christ? Unfortunately, Thomas is known for something else entirely. 
What's Thomas's nickname? Doubting Thomas. A great way to be remembered. In this whole big book about faith, I'm the doubter. We get that from chapter 20. When Christ revealed Himself after the resurrection. Starting in verse 24. If I can get on the right page. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, weep and place my hand into the side, I will never, <clears throat> never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand. Place it in my side. Do you not disbelieve, but believe? Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So, going back to chapter 11, this moment is a little more positive for Thomas. He shows us that there was much more to him. His short statement shows us a great deal of courage and love, even though we could label it as pessimism. He may have understood better than the rest of the apostles what truly devoting their lives to Christ would mean. And eventually, they all answer us. That we are devoted to devote our lives to Him because He is worthy of it even unto death. Thomas would later be stabbed to death. James the lesser would be beheaded. Andrew, Simon, Jude, Peter would all be crucified. James would be thrown off a wall and then stoned. Bartholomew would be flayed to death. Matthew impaled. Matthias stoned and beheaded. Philip hung upside down by iron hooks. John would die in exile. As disciples, we are to love, follow, and devote our lives to a God that we won't always understand. As disciples, we are to love, follow, and devote our lives to a God that we won't always understand because He's worthy of it. And we do it all because He is worthy of it. His love for us, the love that does whatever has to be done to help people see and treasure the glory of God as their supreme joy and satisfaction. The love that drives the purpose of this book, as John says in chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. 
If you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3. Starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's the Gospel. So in response to this text and our list of paradoxes, We are called to love as Christ loved. To follow as He followed the will of the Father. And to wholly and completely devote our lives to making His glory seen and treasured to the ends of the earth. I don't have any platitudes or promises for us that one day we'll figure it out. One day it'll be easier. Well, if we're doing the will of God, then you know these terrible things won't happen. But I can tell you that loving Christ, following Christ, devoting our lives to Christ is the only thing worth doing. 